East kicked off today, and it's a glorious, shining moment and milestone that demonstrates America's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Good morning. Good Friday morning to you. It's weekend o'clock. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for April 22nd, 2022. If you'd prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or on your commute, Head to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else, but you're going to deal with some ads. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. It makes a big difference. It's been a long, long time since a video game convention was able to happen essentially as it did before March of 2020. Gearbox even had an in-person press event today, something that hasn't happened in over two years. I never would have guessed that PAX would be the first convention to get back to normal, but it's appropriate that it is. You see, if you've never been to PAX, PAX is different from all the other conventions because PAX puts the fans first. Journalists just blend right in with everybody else at PAX, as do the developers. It's really, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, it's really like a dream convention. Everyone just blends in. Everyone is the same person. There's no hierarchy. Sure, there are badges for press, and there are badges for the exhibitors, but they don't really give you any special access. As the press, when you go to PAX, you end up playing and watching the same demos as everybody else who is at the event, and it is awesome. And PAX, while the video games are the crux of what brings most people there, at least superficially, the ties that bind at PAX are the human relationships. Meeting other people who love games just as much as you, but not just games even. There's plenty of real estate at that convention given to people who just want to play board games. It literally is one of the best places in the world to go and play board games with like-minded people. It is, again, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, a magical experience. If you've never been to PAX, I cannot recommend it enough. I struggle to believe that anyone like us would go to PAX and not come back from that show, even if you just spend a day there without five new friends. And not just like five people that you talked to there, like five people that you exchanged contact information with and you're now friends with on social media and you may already be making plans to meet them at PAX 2023. That is what PAX is like. There's no other gaming event like it in the United States. Japan has had Tokyo Game Show where there's a press day But the rest of the event is pretty much set up just for the fans of gaming in Japan to go and have fun. Obviously, Europe has Gamescom, where anyone can go. Now, I will say this at Gamescom, there are more special considerations for the press. The press will see a lot of stuff that the general public won't. But still, the vast majority of the population at Gamescom is made up of fans. And we have not had that in the U.S. except for PAX. Now, there's PAX West which happens in Seattle, and then PAX East, which is going on right now, happens in Boston. And so 
Living in the Midwest, it may be a little bit of a trip for you, but for most people in the United States, a PAX event is never that far away. And if you do have to fly, generally it's a two-hour flight max. So it has just become, to me, this crown jewel in the series of video game conventions that happen every year. And we've all been in isolation now for two years. Why I say it's perfect that PAX is the first of all the events to come back is because we've been trapped alone, isolated for the last two years. And I feel like everyone has kind of had this slow rollout of getting back to normal. By now, you've probably gone places without without your mask a lot. You've probably been around a lot of people by now. Everyone seems to be kind of easing into it at their own rate. But by now, I think most people in the United States are comfortable being around other people again. And therefore, PAX is the perfect event to start kicking things back into some semblance of a normal gear. PAX East is rolling all weekend long through Sunday, and there are hundreds and hundreds of exhibitors. There's a lot of stuff to see at PAX. Now, granted, a lot of it is indie stuff, but some of the very best indie games are debuted at PAX. So even if you aren't going to be playing God of War Ragnarok while you're there, you're going to get to play some really good games, and you're going to meet some really great people. It's happening in Boston at the Convention and Exhibition Center, and there are still four-day passes available both online and at the door. If you're vaccinated and you feel good about crowds, I highly recommend getting out there and mingling with our brothers and sisters once again, albeit as safely as possible. After the last two years, it's good for the soul. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. It was a gigantic news day today, so I highly recommend checking your SIFT there's no way we could include all the hot stuff in today's GMG. People Can Fly's Gears as a Service cooperative third-person cover shooter Outriders is getting a massive paid expansion called World Slayer. The game built a large audience thanks to being free on Game Pass, and they're long overdue for some new content. The expansion launches on June 30th, but the game is no longer on Game Pass, so you're gonna have to pony up all according to Square Enix's master plan. If you fell off before reaching level 30, you can use the character boost to create a new level 30 Outrider geared up and ready to face off against powerful new enemies called the Ereshkigal. In addition to new weapons, mods, and gear, there's a new story-driven campaign and a new endgame. In what may be the strangest event in the history of Call of Duty Warzone, Operation Monarch was announced today, Beginning May 11th, the new event for the COD Battle Royale features Godzilla and King Kong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not making that up. Details are scarce, but the teaser trailer shows the two massive creatures fighting all over Caldera. Could it be a team-based boss fight? Or will they just be a nuisance as they destroy parts of the map? I don't know, but we should find out more very soon. F122 was announced today, the first F1 game since Codemasters was acquired by Electronic Arts. It looks to have massive improvements for the first time in a long time. There's a new F1 life mode, there's VR support on PC, new hybrid cars, overhauled rules, a reimagined race weekend, the Miami International Autodrome, a redefined race day with new broadcast options, sprint races, and more. The franchise was already pretty great. And with the added financial and technical support from EA, it could take things up another notch. It launches on July 1st for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. We recently expressed our disdain 
for Nintendo Switch Online here on Good Morning Gaming. And right on cue, Nintendo announces a new batch of Sega Genesis games for its paid service. And the best part is, they're available right now for subscribers. Shining Force 2, Sonic Spinball, and Space Harriers 2 are live and ready for play. Of the three games, Sonic Spinball feels the least dated, but the value add with these games is generally pretty limited. The modes for Season 2 of Halo Infinite were revealed today. King of the Hill, Land Grab, Last Spartan Standing, and Elimination are coming along with new maps, themed limited time events, and an all-new battle pass that never expires. A lack of maps has been the real issue with the game since launch, but it's kind of ridiculous these modes haven't been available all along. When compared to competitors like Call of Duty, it's been behind the content curve since launch. The new season is unleashed on May 3rd, but is it too little too late? Well, that didn't last long. It was announced today that the House of the Dead remake is coming to PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Stadia on April 28th, which means its exclusivity period on Nintendo Switch was ultimately less than a month. Hopefully Nintendo didn't spend any money locking that one down. We recently covered the game on Game Face and recommended that you only buy it once it's heavily discounted. Straight out of PAX, Tales from the Borderlands 2 was announced today. The first entry in this narrative-driven adventure franchise was pretty great. So while it's surprising to see it coming back, it does make sense. Gearbox is developing this sequel in-house, which shows that it's an important project. We didn't receive the game's first trailer today, but it will be fully revealed this summer, and it's launching later this year. LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga sales have topped 3.2 million in just two weeks of being on sale. It's officially the biggest LEGO video game launch in history, and honestly, it is well-deserved. Though we have discovered some bugs as we've dove deeper into the game, its breadth of content continues to impress the more that we play. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may, or may not be, related to video games. In yesterday's GMG, we mentioned how the first prototype footage of Skate 4 had leaked out. And now today, Venture Beast Jeff Grubb is claiming that Skate 4 will let players create skate parks together in real time. It appears that it's going to really push the multiplayer angle of the game, which I totally get for financial reasons, but I also think that EA is missing the boat. So in today's boss fight, I want to discuss what I believe the future of skateboarding games should be. And I feel I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this because I've been covering games for over 20 years, but I also skated for over a decade. In many ways, skateboarding pushed me out of my comfort zone. It wasn't and isn't. Something that you just do when you have a spare hour or two. Skateboarding, and I know this this line is kind of a cliche, but skateboarding truly is a lifestyle. And when I say that, I don't mean that you have to dress a certain way or talk a certain way to fit in. What I mean is that it's an all-consuming part 
of your life. You can't be a part-time skateboarder and hope to make much progress doing it. It is the hardest sport I have ever participated in. And I grew up a three-sport athlete. I played football, basketball, and baseball. I even mixed in a couple seasons of soccer here and there. And there is no sport more difficult than skateboarding. I also golf. I still golf. And golf is a close second to skateboarding. I'll say that much. But skateboarding is the most difficult sport I've ever participated in. And I think that's what drew me to it. That and the fact that you don't have a coach. Your coach is you. What makes skateboarding so difficult is that when you fail, you get hurt. It hurts. I know it's blasé. We watch these skateboard bail videos and you see people, you know, flying down 30 stair handrails and catching their foot and flipping down and landing on their back at the bottom of the stairway. We become numb to that. But that stuff is real. That stuff hurts. It's just a two-second clip in some skate video that you're watching on YouTube. But the skater that took that bump was hurting for days. And this is always in the back of your mind while you're skateboarding. So you have to be physically tough, mentally tough. You also have to be extremely skilled and extremely brave. But that's the skateboarding side of it. And that is something that I feel skate is good at. It replicates the feeling of real skateboarding, what it's like to have to practice a trick many times before you finally land it. That part of skateboarding games, I feel the games have got down. And I'm totally cool with how they're doing them. I have every faith that Skate 4 is going to play well. But what skateboarding games have not done well to this point is capture what it's like to be a skater. Being a skater, you have a group of friends. And they are... When you're in it, you feel like they're going to be your friends for life because you go through so many things together. The pain when someone bails and gets really hurt, helping them to the car, helping them into their house when you get home, going to check in on them the next day after maybe they've gone to the hospital to see if they have any broken bones. You roll with these people everywhere. A big part of skateboarding is the time that you spend with the people that you skate with when you're not skating. So... We would skate all over our town, and inevitably we'd get thirsty or we'd get hungry. So we'd roll up to like a 7-Eleven, we'd go in and get drinks, and we'd come out, we'd sit in front of the 7-Eleven. And the, those times, I think I have more memories from than anything else. We would just sit there and just crack jokes, make fun of each other. We'd make fun of people who went into the 7-Eleven. We had one friend who would... um. <laughs> He would wait for someone to walk out of the 7-Eleven, and as soon as they did, he would fart as loud as he could. And I mean, we were, you know, we were 15 or 16. We were juveniles, just having fun. It was innocent fun. But those memories that you make, it's, it reminds me a lot of Stranger Things, without the sci-fi and without the alternate universe stuff. But it's that kind of bonding that you have through strife with people around that age. It's a whole thing. Getting into the bubble, becoming a part of the crew. And like I grew up in small towns and there was a skater crew. And there were, well, there are usually a few skater crews. There was the elite, the guys who were competing in the contest, the guys who maybe were sponsored. And then there was like the guys who kind of took it seriously, but not as much. And then you had the beginners or the kids. 
And you always wanted to break into that elite group because that's how you got better. They taught you how to do tricks. There are tricks to doing tricks. <laughs> like a kickflip. Like I could never land kickflips until someone told me, turn your foot sideways first before you push down. And as soon as they told me that, I was like, the light bulb went off. That's what you get when you're rolling with the elite group of skaters in whatever area you live in. So that's kind of your goal. And then once you get in there, it becomes, I hate to say it, it's like a movie or a TV show. Because a lot of the people who skate are very interesting, very creative, very energetic people. And when you mix high IQs with a lot of testosterone and a lot of drive to become better, the the situations just play out on their own. And this is something that these games have been missing all along. All those corny cutscenes in the Tony Hawk games where you roll up and there's some pro skater there and they're like, yeah, shaka brah, go do the grind down this hand. That's not skateboarding. That's not skateboarding at all. Skateboarding is getting up at nine in the morning, eating a bowl of cereal, calling all your friends, meeting somewhere, and getting in a car and driving all over God's creation to try to find good places to skate. That's what skateboarding is. Pulling gas money together so that you can pay the guy who does have the car. So he's not paying for gas. He's supplying the car and everyone else is paying for the gas to get you to the skate park that's an hour away. Although now things have changed a lot. Now the skate park's 20 minutes away. But that's what skateboarding is. It's going out from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday nights, it's 9 a.m. until whenever. Because when you get done at 9 o'clock, hopefully there's some party or some get-together you can go to where you try to pick up girls or whatever. It is a lifestyle that takes over your life. You are fully embedded in it. You get Sometimes you get home at 9 o'clock and you go to a friend's house and you sit and you watch skate videos all night. Trying to learn new tricks or think about new tricks. Or you start planning a trip to some skate park in a big city. And you figure out who can go and who can chip in for gas and for the tolls and... It's a thing, and skateboarding games have never tapped into it. The other thing about being a serious skateboarder, you learn every nook and cranny of your town. You know every piece of concrete. You know every bank, every slick curb, every incline, every ditch, every handrail, everything. You know your town better than anyone else in your town. Again, Something that skateboarding games have failed to capture. So, while people worry about how the combos are going to work and how the trick system is going to work, although I think we understand at this point how Skate 4 is going to work because we played three skate games already, what I'm worried about is how they're going to capture what it really is like to be a skater and how it really is to be embedded in that scene culturally these games could do a whole lot more. They just need to dedicate the right talent to it. And you never had great writers writing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games. A lot of times they would assign some ex-skater who couldn't write worth a lick to write those scripts. And it was embarrassing. And it honestly, it killed the Tony Hawk franchise. As that franchise went more towards story-driven whatever, its sales almost on an identical curve went down. Because it was embarrassing. And it was embarrassing to me as someone who skated for over a decade. So I'm hoping that what we're hearing about Skate 4 isn't all we're hearing about Skate 4. Because I have very little faith that if there is a new Tony Hawk's Pro Skater game, that it has any chance of getting this part of it right. The one thing I like about Skate, the franchise, is its 
pressed towards authenticity. And while it has managed to do that in the actual skateboarding, it has yet to do it culturally. And that is what's going to move skateboarding games forward. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listened to GMG on this fine Friday. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. The show will be back on Monday, but until then, seize this weekend because there will never be another. <laughs>